test. This is the single event that the scriptures say is the most life-altering, worldview-affecting, faith-shaping event that's ever occurred in the history of the world. What we are discussing today has implications beyond any other event that has ever occurred in our history of humanity. The Bible says it this way. If what we're talking about today didn't occur, then pack up the band, shut off the choir mics, put away your Bibles, and close the church doors. But if what happened we're discussing today, if that really happened, gang, that affects not just some things, that affects everything. And so shocker, those of you showing up on Easter Sunday, wonder what the pastor's going to be talking about. (laughs) Memo today, I'm going to be talking about that. I'm going to be talking about that Sunday, that resurrection moment. All week long as a church, we've been putting our feet where Jesus put his feet since Palm Sunday. From Palm Sunday to Spy Wednesday to Crucifixion Friday. And today we're going to put our feet where Jesus put his feet on Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to follow his footprints out of the grave. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about how that affects this. Because everybody's got a this, not just on Easter Sunday, any day. Everybody's got a this, right? This unexpected ending, this marriage struggle, this family drama, this career crossroads, this overwhelming grief, this God, where are you and what are you doing? This sin pattern, this How am I going to get through whatever it is I'm going through? Every single one of us has a this. And this morning, we're going to talk about how that impacts this. And to get us going down the stream, I thought you'd get a little deeper dive into a story from the blue chairs. So this is Vinny and Louise Martinez unpacking their this. October 2016, that was, that was when my this hit me right in the face. And it was, I was down in Sarasota with my dad. Uh, my, I go a couple times a year with some friends to play golf for like four days. And uh, after nearly 21 years with AT&T, I had an 8 a.m. call with my boss. Took that call at 8 a.m., found out that yes, uh, my career at AT&T was going to be ending. That's when my this really hit me. That, wow, you know, a wife, four kids, career ending, you know, how am I gonna handle this one? So when I got the call from Vinny, I was like devastated. And um, I felt really alone because I was there with the kids and I wasn't with him. So that was hard um, and I was scared. We don't go to people. We don't ask for help. We don't, that's not our gig ever. So, yeah, it was, we just kind of kept it to ourselves for a long time. I think it was too, I think it was too heavy to carry by ourselves. So we realized it wasn't something we could do alone. And I think that's where the praying started and the, it was almost like a nudge, right? Like, 
ask, like talk to someone, ask, listen to me, I'm here. Because a lot of times for us, well, I, well for me, I almost feel like I put God in timeout. Because I personally am a big timeouter, right? Friends, um, sometimes husbands, right? Timeout, <laughs> yeah. I need an hour, you are in timeout. So I, I would put God in timeout. But I think the difference with this is with it being so heavy, um, it was too much to put him in timeout. My prayer, prayers used to be more like deals with, with God. Like, hey, I really need this thing or this to happen. And if, if, this, if you can get this for me, then you know, I'll do all these extra things that, that I would think that he would want me to, to do. Um, and through this process, I learned to just say, it's in your hands. I'm going to take every day and do what I can that day but the outcome is in his hands and that's what I learned to do and, and it, it got me through our prayers were different yeah our prayers were ne- started being not all right if you do this then I'll give you this or hey God if you come through then I'm not going to put you in time out and not not talk to you for a week right it was hey this wasn't for you so let's pray that God puts the job that is for you let's just trust in that and we started trusting yeah and it was huge. It's definitely a bigger connection now than any t- at any point in my lifetime. And, 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 that, that, and that has to do with just being open about talking to Louise about prayer. Like, well, if this, you know, if this isn't, doesn't work out, it wasn't meant to be, and we're just gonna leave it in his hands. And that kind of talk really wasn't in our household. I can see God working through all four of my children through this. And not only are they more open to the idea of, you know, wanting to have a relationship with God, but they're the ones seeking it out and coming to us and saying, um, we want to be in a life group. My eldest is now in a life group. I mean, that's crazy. Um, My seven-year-old wrote me a note uh, after she went to church and a couple times and had been praying and... uh, in the letter, it said, "Right, I'd like to be baptized." Spelled B-A-T-H. Baptized. I am ready. Um, amazing things that are coming out of their mouths. Them asking us, "Can we go to church? Can we go again?" Well, no, you can only go once a week. You know, well, is there another? Well, no, but so all of those type of, of things. They bought journals. They write in their journals. My uh, nine-year-old just on spring break. Uh, wrote a little note to God in her journal to apologize for her bad behavior and she's going to try harder. Like, so she's having a dialogue, a dialogue with God that we haven't even, which is so natural to her because we haven't never said, right, you should write a journal and you should write, you know, dear letters to dear God. We would never say that. And this is happening. So everything is kind of molding us and bringing us together as this united family. And God is at the forefront of it, which is Unbelievable. The, the hunger that I see in them about Jesus is something that motivates me to stay on the path that I'm on. I think my faith is bigger. I think my faith is stronger. Um, interestingly enough, we were on spring break and it was the first time we had missed church or going to miss church and it was weird. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to be there. And that's totally different. Um, for me, but I don't think that I'm ready yet to commit to a structure to a church and say, right, I'm going to be a member of this, or yes, this is my church, Um, because it's hard for me to commit. 
because I think there's a lot of fear that comes with that. Like, am I going to do everything right? Um, you know, are they not going to like me if I do something wrong? Am I going to lose my church and lose all the people? So for me, I think I love what this journey has done for my relationship with God and our relationship with God and our kids' relationship. But it's going to take a lot of time to claim a structure. Having God as a central part of, of our relationship, of our mm -hmm. family, of our lives is something that we struggle with. But mm -hmm. at, there's times and glimmers when he's there that it's like, oh, I see that. Um, yeah. And then you lose it and you try to take control over everything. And then you're like, wow, thing, you know, all of a sudden you're, you know, you're up to your eyeballs and stress and you're like, wait a minute, I know what the problem is. So just being able to see that, I think you get better at it, but we're, we're not there yet. If, if, if he can get us through this, yeah. I mean, this is the way I want to move forward. But I think he was really asking, like, what happened with the job for you to say, I got the job! Not really an explanation of the job title. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, it's fine. You got I got the job. <laughs> I, know. I was like, when you were going with it, I was like, I don't think that's what he was saying. Right. <laughs> Hi, Bella. Hi, Sylvie. Are you kidding? They're not Hi, Tommy. Hi, Lily. Okay. <laughs> Aren't they going to be in No. There? Well, not for Easter? No, they're going to be in the classrooms. <laughs> you're not famous. What? No, I was going to say hi. <laughs> you are We're not, not a celebrity. Famous. They're, they're like, hey, Daddy said hi. Progress. You just need to make a little bit of progress with it. Uh, you know. But it's nice having someone to journey with. Uh, agreed. Absolutely. Like a constant. Yeah. That's what I like. And that's my Louise. I'm Jesus, but I love you. Thank you. Jesus, too. <laughs> Special shout out to the Martinez family, Vinny and Louise, season ticket holders over here on this side. Let's give it up for them. Thank you. Thanks for giving us a deeper insight into your journey over the last several months. She's, uh, Louise has actually been teaching in our preschool for the last four years, uh, one of the amazing preschool staff that serves under Elizabeth Benedict's leadership. And so her journey has become being connected to the preschool and now becoming more connected to the church family. And so we're so grateful that you're on this journey and thanks for giving us a little insight into the God's timeout thing. Didn't you love the honesty of that? Right? How many of us have played the, we're going to put you on timeout thing before? I know spouses play that all the time, but the transparency of doing that with God, I thought was really insightful. Because today, in a sense, um, the Roman leaders, um, the Jewish high priests, and those running the temple, and uh, several others who weren't interested in jumping on the Jesus train, they were all interested in putting Jesus in timeout. So they thought Good Friday was there. You're in timeout. You're done. We're sealing the tomb and we're setting a soldier over it. That's how convinced we are that timeout. You are done and finished and over so we can move on to the next chapter of waiting for our true Messiah to come because he didn't fit the stereotype for them. So today we're going to look at Matthew 28. Open your Bibles there. We're going to look at what happened when they put him in timeout, so to speak. And we're going to look at how that event affects our everyday this. Look at Matthew 28. You can follow along up here on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. And pull out your message note sheets. They were in your program when you handed on the way in the door. After the Sabbath, 
at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, how ironic is it that Mary and Mary are the two that are going to carry the big news here? Because in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, women, women weren't even allowed to be witnesses in the courtrooms. So the level of authenticity that women carried in these kinds of moments is very, very low. And isn't it just like God? Like if you were going to craft a story and put it together to maximize its appeal, you wouldn't pick Mary and Mary to be the ones at the tomb to go and rush and try to convince everyone else. Do you see it's just like God? Like when you read this book, there's so many crazy moments in this book where you go, only God could put this story together like this. And here's another one. Mary and Mary, they're the ones there. In verse two, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Don't you love that image? Just kind of like sat down, checkmate moment here. Your timeout plan is coming to an end. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. That's an understatement. That's one of those lines in the Bible you go, yeah, put yourself there. How would you respond? How about you who were charged with, you knew that your life was on the line if this tomb didn't stay sealed. Verse five, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. In your Bibles, underline those four words. He is not here. Do you notice how the tomb, the stone was rolled away from the tomb not to let Jesus out? Jesus had already exited before they rolled the stone away. That's why when they rolled it away, the angel said, come and see, he is not here. He's alive. He's already exited the tomb. This is still the only gravesite you can come to where you can track the footprints out of it. This is the one gravesite where the occupant of the gravesite exited the gravesite. This is the only one. This is the reason today why Jesus' name is being exalted and proclaimed and worshiped in 190 nations this morning. Approximately 2 billion or so people gathering in groups like this, reflecting on this storyline. This is the reason why his name is being proclaimed that way, and Little Caesars is just a pizza chain. Because <laughs> Caesar was the man at that time. It was all about Caesar and the Roman kingdom. It was all about Caesar's name was on a coin. Huh, Caesar, where are you today? $5 for a large pizza today. But yet King Jesus, who rolled that stone away and exited that tomb, says once and for all, he is not there. He is alive. And that's why we're here today. If it isn't for this event, we've got nothing to gather for. Today changed everything. If you come in this morning, you think I'm up against something, there's no possible way I can see how I'm going to get through what I'm going through. This cross and this empty tomb says, if Jesus can handle that, you following me? He can handle this. 
whatever our this is. And so when the stones rolled away and Mary and Mary go in and they were a part of preparing his body, so I picture Jesus maybe folding up those grave clothes nice. Did you see him doing that? in a nice little stack for him so when they came in. And because he wasn't there, they couldn't stay there either. Notice the angel doesn't say to them, hey, Mary and Mary, this is an amazing moment. Get your acoustic guitar, circle up. Let's sing how great is our God. You know, uh, this is a... They didn't do that. Watch what happened because he wasn't there. Look what the angel told him to do. Verse seven, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Verse eight, so the women hurried away from the tomb, underline afraid yet filled with joy. Isn't that such a commentary on life with Jesus at times? There's just this mixture, right? We're kind of, oh, Lord, I'm not quite sure where that's going, but there's just this, this, this sense of joy on the inside where you just know that you know that God is with you and he's calling you to take a step out, and that's where they're at. They're like, this is a holy, crazy moment, what we just experienced, and they're just mixture with fear, like what's gonna happen next? Yet overwhelmed, overwhelmed with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. So three things now, what difference does all of that make on this? Three responses to what difference that scene makes. The first one is this, and I put it in your notes. That whole scene, Jesus of Nazareth was nailed on a Roman cross. He was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. There was a guard placed over that tomb. And on the third day, he walked out of the sealed tomb. That event, those events today give us great confidence, number one, that God will always keep his promises, always. Do you know Jesus called this whole scene before it happened? Several months before uh, Holy Week, Jesus was getting his group together and saying, here's how Holy Week's going to go. And they struggled with it, probably like we would have. Look at these words. This is in Mark chapter 8. Here's a moment, kind of a few months before Holy Week. Jesus, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Look at verse 32. He spoke plainly, underlined plainly, about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That's an are you kidding me line right there. Are you kidding me, Peter? But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. Wait a minute, did Jesus just call Peter Satan? That'd be a hard one to get over. Right, we've all had those folks in our lives who maybe said some things to us that we had a tough time letting go. Man, the Son of God looking you in the eye and go, get behind me, Satan? Whew, that'd be one to rattle into the soul, right? But notice how plainly Jesus declared how the story was gonna go. Did it go exactly as he had promised it would go? Yes. Guess who was a big part of the band of people chanting crucify? The elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. 
Guess how the Romans were all wound up and Pilate, you know, his wife comes and says, hey, you need to steer clear of this Jesus cat. There's something going on with him and he just washes his hands of the whole scene. He wants nothing to do with it, but he caves under the pressure of the Jewish leaders and wanting to appease Rome. So he tries to wash his hands of it and then the Roman guards take and flog him and mock him and eventually hang him on a cross to be executed. Just like Jesus said. And then, just like he told him, hey, and by the way, it won't be the end of the story. I will rise. And today we remember he kept his word. The God we worship and serve is a God who always keeps his word. His promises are trustworthy. In a day and age where you struggle with how can we believe and trust anyone as they say anything, here's what we know. When we anchor ourselves in God and his word, when he offers a promise, he will remain faithful and true to that promise. We can be as confident as the cross is bloody and the grave is empty. That's how confident we can be that God will keep his promise. So Psalm 46, 1, that says, God is a refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of need. Or Isaiah 42 and 43, where it gives these wonderful images that you're going to go through the waters, and they might come up to the neck, but they're not going to sweep you away. Or you're going to go through the fire, and the fire is going to get really hot, but it's not going to engulf you. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. These are promises. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with me. Those are promises, church, that we can stand on. We can be anchored in. He will come through. If he delivered on that, hear this, right? He will deliver on this and all of those. That's why we have to be a people who are anchored here so clearly, right? We gotta be anchored in knowing his promises. We wanna stand on those promises. And some of you are like, yeah, pastor, but timetable doesn't always work. No, timetable's a different discussion. Different sermon for a different day, right? The timetable of his delivery, he's got a whole lot invested in that too because the way he's gonna deliver on the promises is about molding and shaping who we are as a people. Remember when Jesus delivered on his promise? How many times did the people wanna rush that one along? You wanna accelerate the march of destiny. Have you noticed the propensity of the human condition to do this? You wanna jump in and accelerate the march of destiny. That's what the people were trying to do like Jesus would come and heal someone and they're like, Jesus, you need to go public. And he'd just disappear into the crowd. He'd raise someone up. He, you know, he'd, he'd have amazing teaching. Like, hey, Jesus, go public. And he'd disappear. Why? Because he was what? In step with the time the Father had appointed. You remember our discussion several months ago? It was Kairos moment, the God-appointed time. We're all focused on Kronos, right? My time. Hey, God, time for you to deliver on that promise right here and right now. And God's always gonna operate with the Kairos. And he's always on time, by the way. Right on time, never late, never early, right on time, Kairos moment, and we can be this confident. As sure as that cross is bloody and that grave is empty, God will come true on his promises. And I think God brought some people to this gathering today to leave with that anchored in your soul, that he will come through. 
Definitely, probably not in the timetable we all expect, but you can hold on to this. He will deliver. And when he delivers, it will take your breath away. So that's how that, that's one way that affects this. Second way that affects this is, I want you to see, I put it in your notes this way, that Jesus has this understanding of the human experience in the area of suffering. And because he's alive, he offers an active companionship in it. I want you to stay with me here for a minute. So on Good Friday, what were we reflecting on Friday? We're reflecting on the brutality of a Roman crucifixion. And so Jesus endured the physical pain and physical hardship of a crucifixion, which today, it's hard for us to grasp and internalize the degree of physical pain that involved. They said that many of those they crucified would pass out in the process because the pain would overwhelm them. So they'd wake them up so they'd suffer some more. So Jesus endured not only the physical pain, but how about the emotional pain that Jesus absorbed? How about him losing his closest friend, John the Baptist, in the midst of his faithful ministry together? John the Baptist was beheaded. How do you think Jesus handled that? That had to be a tough night. It said he withdrew to a quiet place. I bet so. Some of you are going through seasons of your life right now. You go, you just, all you could do is withdraw to a quiet place and say, God, I don't even know what to say here. The psalmist says there's times where it's just deep sighing. We can't even pray. All we can do is sigh. Jesus went through that. And then Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. And a bulk of the crowd deserted him. His closest when he needed him most. So we'll go through life and sometimes we'll say, who can possibly understand what I'm going through? This holy week, Jesus says I can And do you see now how the Christian life isn't some like adherence to a moral set of principles? This isn't some kind of emotional connection to a historical figure. The Christian life, because the tomb is empty, because he is not there, he is alive, because that is true, the Christian life is a relational companionship with a person. Do you believe that? Jesus is alive and he is a person. And you can have a relational connectivity and a companionship with him no matter what kind of season of life you're in. Jesus weeps. Jesus suffers. Jesus rejoices. Jesus guides. Jesus is present with you just like your close friends in your life who are the body of Christ on earth. Do you see how Jesus says, I'm here. I'm not just some principles on a printed page. I'm not just some Lyrics on some nice songs. I'm a living reality. I'm a person who is alive and present by the Holy Spirit. And I am with you. I will weep with you. I will guide you. I will teach you. I will direct you. That's Jesus. Do you see that? Richard Rohr said it this way. I put this quote in your notes. Richard Rohr wrote that he thought there were five statements that every human beings should come to grips with at some point. He called them essentials of being a person. I put it in your notes. Statement number one, life is hard. We gonna debate that one? You are not that important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control. You are going to die. Happy Easter. Do you see the significance of those those statements? That's what Jesus was trying to say with his whole life and ministry. He's saying, hey guys, watch me. 
Put your feet where I put my feet. Hallelujah, today we get to put it coming out of the grave. But there's nothing about Jesus' life that says this is gonna be easy. Are you kidding me? Look at what he endured. And he does get the last word, and hallelujah, we get the last word with him. But gang, between now and then, it's gonna be some tough sledding. And do you see the wisdom of living this day in light of that day? Do you see it? How much wiser would we live today if we just kind of internalized in a deeper place? Even the young people in this room, students, even at your young ages, internalize this reality. One day, your physical life is going to come to an end. This is really, really important to grasp. Why? Because then you're going to stockpile the days God gives you in this life for that life. Because in Jesus, you don't go from death to life. You go from life to life. When you take your last breath here, you take your first breath with him. Because he said, hey, those who die with me will what? Will rise with me. The people who rise with him are the people who go through Good Friday with him, who internalize what? There is an end point to this life, and sometimes far sooner than we like. But Jesus says, I'll be with you. You can hold to my promises. Take it to the bank. God's promises will hold true. And secondly, know that you have a personal and active companion in the living Christ with you. No matter what it is you're going. It could be on a mountaintop moment with amazing breakthroughs. You could be in the depth of the darkest valleys and the deepest of days, either in anywhere in between. Jesus says, I know, I understand, I'm here, I'm present, you can trust me. And then thirdly, how does that affect all of this? Because we everybody has a this is do you see how from Friday to Sunday our seeds of endings, do you see how they become new beginnings? Do you see how the hinge of the door swings? How our endings become an invitation to new beginnings? I love this about the Martinez story. If you sit with Vinny and Louise, they could have never mapped out back in October, November, like what if we just sat with the Martinez and said, hey, by the way, between now and April, here's how this thing's gonna go. It wasn't in their frame of mind at all, but their endings, do you see? Their endings became a hinge of a door to new beginnings, certainly for Vinny's career, new beginnings, but how about for their family life and their spiritual life and all the things that are going on there? So what was a tough ending, unexpected endings at times? Do you see how this is a rhythm that Jesus invites us into in living life with him? If you're not in the middle of an ending right now, all you gotta do is keep living. Just keep living and an ending is coming. Just like Richard Rohr said, there's definitely an ending coming for every single one of us. I'm still pretty confident the mortality rate of the human race is 100%. So that ending's coming, but there's a lot of other endings before that that we all experience in life. And do you see this rhythm that he invites us into? There's this dying and rising. Good Friday, Easter Sunday, crucifixion, resurrection. That's how this life is lived. It's lived in this kind of rhythm. Listen to how Stephen... W. Smith, he wrote it in his book. He wrote it this way. I put this quote in your notes. Transformation in the spiritual life involves death. 
death to self, death to the past, death to dreams we once dreamed apart from God, in the midst of the stink of our lives, we press on because we know that death is the step before resurrection. That's why today's so significant, because we embrace the silence of Saturday, and then we walk in the doors on Sunday, and with resurrection joy, we strike up the band and fill up the choir and launch into what? This, because rising is also a part, right? There's not just the dying, there's the rising, dying, rising, dying, rising. This is the rhythm. So those of you facing your endings, part of how that affects this right now is you start looking for where they become seeds of new beginnings, where the hinge on the door swings. This is why Stephen W. Smith goes on to say, he says, hey, he thinks like local churches should have classes. I wrote down some that he said, he goes, based upon this analogy of Jesus, he goes, I think the churches should have classes like parents who get too angry with their kids, chapel Sundays, three o'clock. Workaholics, room 105, Thursdays at five. People suffering from panic attacks, room 101, Tuesdays at 7. Men addicted to porn, room 103, Wednesdays at 7. Women who are being, who are being abused, multi-purpose room, Thursdays at 6. Teenagers who don't believe in God, room 110, Fridays at 8. Because that's where the real spiritual life, the real contact point of transformation, do you see this? It's in the messiness of some of those ending points in our lives that Jesus shows up and brings resurrection life and opens up something that there's no possible way we could have crafted ourselves. Even as plainly as he told his followers, this is how it would go. They never in their wildest dreams would have pictured this story like this. So do you remember where we left Mary and Mary off at the tomb? Let's draw it all together with uh, verse 8 to 10 in Matthew 28. So they're hurrying away from the tomb, afraid and filled with joy, and they're running to tell the disciples. Verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I'm like, isn't that just classic? Like, greetings? Like, I was thinking, Jesus, you got to come up with a better one word than that one. Right? That's just amazing. He's just so, you know, it's almost like I spoke about this plainly. It's unfolding just like I told all of you it would unfold. Greetings. And they're just, talk about afraid and filled with joy at that moment. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. How about that confidence? And by the way, I'm going to go. It's, we're real public now. I'm going to go and display the resurrected Christ. The one who they thought they'd signed, sealed, and delivered his time out. He did checkmate on the whole scene. And now he's going to walk and talk and teach and mobilize. And everyone else is going to sit there with jaws dropping silence on the scene. Because what do we do now? I'll tell you what we do now is we do what they did. They spread the message. You know, we're the recipients of them going. You know, several thousand miles from the Middle East today, North America sits. Do you know some people came with this message here, it's spread out from the centrality of Jerusalem. It's spread out now. It's covering almost all of the globe. So I wonder how their shutdown plan worked. So church, there's no more significant event in history than that. That Jesus of Nazareth on that Roman cross laid in that sealed tomb and walking out of that tomb, risen. 
the most worldview-affecting, life-altering, faith-shaping event in the history of the world. And how does that affect this? Do you see this now? If God could handle that, stay with me here. If God could handle that, if he could handle redeeming the darkness and injustice, remember Jesus was innocent, He's standing there on the cross, right? They're, they're nailing, they're beating him. They're saying to the crowd, hey, we're gonna release one of these prisoners. The innocent Jesus in the middle or the murderer Barabbas on your side. Let Barabbas go. What is that? The injustice of all of that, the pain, the suffering, the heartache, the darkness. If God could take all of that and harvest out of it the salvation for the world, if he can handle that, church, he can handle whatever our this is. That gives context to every single this. This marriage, this family drama, this career crossroads, this grief and loss, this financial crisis, this overwhelming sin, this coming to the end of myself, this I can't see I'm gonna get through what I'm going through. If he could handle that, he can absolutely handle this and that's where we put our feet where Jesus put his feet today many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia series I love the scene in his book Voyage of the Dawn Treader many of you have probably seen the movie or read the book to your kids maybe remember the key character in the story Eustace Scrub do you remember him and he was so fixated and fascinated with a treasure that was hidden in a dragon's cave. He was preoccupied with it. He thought a lot about that treasure and he wanted that treasure. And he became so preoccupied with it that he turned into a dragon himself. So he could kind of just fully indulge in the treasure. And part of the storyline is Eustace, the kind of dragon life he envisioned, it wasn't what he'd hoped for. And he wanted to go back to being a boy. And then Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure in the story, Aslan comes up to Eustace and basically says, hey, Eustace, I understand you want to go back. Dragon life's not working out so well, huh? So he says, why don't you go ahead and try to peel off some dragon layers? So Eustace tries like, he tries to peel away some of the layers himself and the story goes, he, he, he just, every time he peels a layer, there's just another layer underneath. He's exhausted. He's like, and then Aslan says this. I put it in your notes. Aslan says to Eustace, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker than the others had been. And there was, there was I as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. I turned into a boy again. So for some of you this morning, you're in your Eustace scrub moment. The Bible term for what Eustace experienced is called a prayer of surrender. Where you come to the end of yourself and you say, you know what, Lord? 
I'm tired of trying to manage my own dragon skin. I'm not smart enough or strong enough to do it. And today's your day where you're gonna lay flat on your back before him and let Aslan do what only he can do. Because the only Jesus can bring that to this. Do you see how some point Easter's gotta get personal You can come to Easter and hear about the story, but here's where that and this come together. It's gotta get personal. There's gotta be that moment of surrender where you say, Jesus, save me. I surrender. I don't know where this is all going. Save me. I bring my sin to you. I ask you to make me who you want me to be. You have control. Prayer of surrender. Some of you, that's your moment this morning. In just a moment, I'm gonna lead us through. Prayer of surrender. Others of you, it may be a prayer of returning this morning. You've had your Eustace scrub moment somewhere in your past, and you remember it. And you stroll in here on Easter, and if you were honest, there's maybe been a, a drifting and a wandering that's gone on. You've left some of those foundations and roots And you know, and you know God knows, it's time to come home. It's time to come back. It's a prayer of returning. You know, all you have to do is turn. If you've been wandering away, just turn around. And when you turn your face back towards the Father, guess what you're gonna find? His face has always been turned towards you in love, always. Just turn. And so you can return today. So whether prayer of surrender a prayer of returning, and then lastly, we'll lead through a prayer of new beginnings because there are several seeds of endings in the room. And today, we can pray that Jesus would help us see the hinge of the door that swings open to some new chapters and new beginnings that you would have never imagined. You wouldn't have mapped it out this way, but here's your portion and your cup. You're living through the endings, and today says you don't have to camp on the endings. Today says you can put your feet where Jesus put his feet and envision a new beginning. Because, church, if he can accomplish that, then he can handle this. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to take a moment now and Just invite those who maybe really connect with Eustace Scrub and feeling tired of managing their own sin and their own dragon skin and their own life and just coming to the end of themselves. And all you gotta do right where you're at is just cry out, Jesus, save me. I'm done trying to handle all this myself. I cry out to you, save me. Fill me with your spirit. Guide my life. I bring to you my sin. I bring to you my life. I bring to you my heart. And I say, save me. That's your prayer of surrender. And then for others, in the prayer of returning, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I want to come home. And just cry out like the prodigal son who was wandering in a distant country. It doesn't matter what you've wandered into. It doesn't matter how long you've wandered into it. Just turn and come back. And you'll find his grace is sufficient for you. And then lastly, Lord, we just unite our hearts and pray for those in the room or in their places of endings by the power of your spirit, would you help the eyes of their soul be enlightened now in this moment to see a crack in the door for a new beginning, that they continue to put their feet where you put your feet, in the dying and the rising rhythm, may they find life 
life everlasting in you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. There's a little uh, comment card inside your program. If you would like to have some follow-up for many of us here at the church, you can use that card. Give us some contact info. If you prayed any of those prayers and you'd like some help in taking some next steps spiritually, um, that's a way we can help you get some follow-up. It's a place for you to also submit prayer requests. If there's things you'd like us to be praying for you and your family, you can use the, the card for that as well. We've got a marriage class starting next Sunday. That's a good like next step for some of you wanting to get connected on Sunday mornings at 8.30. Brad and Jane are gonna be leading that. That's a good next step. And then we'll just have some other things unfold to just try to help you take from surrender, right, to returning to new beginnings.